Once again, good morning, family and friends. I want to take this opportunity also to wish all mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, spiritual mothers, God's choice blessings on this Mother's Day. I have never, though in all my years of pastoral ministry, had to preach virtually on Mother's Day. I hope this is the first and the last time that I do this, because what I really actually want to do is to give each mother, grandma, great-grandma, spiritual mom amongst you a big hug. Today, I can't do this. I can only do this virtually, but here it is. And I'm praying God's choice blessings be upon you on this Mother's Day. Blessed Mother's Day. But before you all go away to have your Mother's Day celebration, uh, let's go to God's Word to see if He has something that He might want to say to us, especially for this Mother's Day. So please, if you have your Bibles with me, with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 9 through 21. Allow me to read for you from Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. And I shall be reading from the New International Version. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who I need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, our Lord, won't you even now speak to us as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word? Won't you take your truths and plant them deep in us to shape and fashion us in your likeness? We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, in the history of Christianity, Romans is one of the books in the Bible that the Lord has used time and time again to hold back the gates of hell from consuming the church, while at the same time propping open the doors of heaven that sinners might be reconciled to God. In fact, in the pages of Romans, you will find some of the clearest presentations of doctrine or theological truths upon which the church rests her eternal hope. Essentially, 
the book or the epistle of Romans can be divided, I think, into two parts. The first is this, um, chapters 1 through chapters 11. That's the first part. And the other part from chapter 12 through chapter 16. I see reflected in part 1 the God we need to know. Romans chapter 1 through 11. And in Romans chapter 12 through 16, the life we need to live. I wish we had time to go back, to backtrack, to do a review of this book. Um, and the, and also, I wish there was this time to cover it. But unfortunately, we don't have that time. What I would like to surface today, though, is how powerfully practical this book is. In an ever-fresh call to the life we need to live, our text for today, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, gives deep insight to the church about how to love one another in light of God's love towards us. That in light of God's love, love is doing whatever it takes to give people whatever they need. Notice I said whatever people need, not what they want. So how should you love? How do you live with genuine love? I want to suggest that Romans chapter 12 verse 9 is the anchor verse so that the other verses, uh, verses 10 through 21, don't drift into misrepresentation. Um, I'll be drawing, adapting from Timothy Keller today. But I want to say that to protect against misinterpretation, the Apostle Paul gave three imperatives, three commands. And he said this, be sincere, hate evil, cling or hold fast to good. Be sincere. The word sincere in Greek is unhypocritical. Unhypocritical. We do not hide behind a mask. We are not phony in our dealings with people. We don't have a veneer of pleasantness that can be a cover over a spirit of backbiting or gossip or prejudice. We don't just have a culture of niceness, but an absence of tough love in which people love each other enough to confront problems and sins in themselves and their friends. We need to be sincere. We need to hate evil. Genuine love must operate on the basis of God's moral order and be true to God's will. We must hate, literally, we must be horrified. We need to abhor, we need to loathe what God calls evil. We need to cling to good, literally, to glue ourselves inseparably to what God calls good. Now, why is this so important? Because when we love someone, that's the trouble. When we love someone, it can distort our view of what is good and what is evil. You might have actually come across statements when you've been surfing online. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Or a statement like, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. In other words, if you love someone, your heart is bound up with his or her heart. And therein lies two temptations. And the first is this, I don't want to give this up because it feels so good. It gives me an emotional high. But the second temptation is this, I give the one I love 
what gives emotional joy, what gives physical joy, rather than what is best. Because if I give what is best, it may create emotional sadness or anger. Think about parenting, because this is Mother's Day. Parents can try time and again, uh, but they fail to discipline children consistently because they can't bear the anger and the tears. But the result of a childhood without discipline can often be a disaster. Now, some of you may be thinking that it's strange to tell us to love and to hate all in the same sentence. Yet that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. Tim Keller suggests we cannot love rightly without hating rightly. Genuine or real love loves the beloved enough to be tough. Rebecca Manley Pippert writes, Think of how we feel when we see someone we love um, ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Genuine love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. So any love that cuts corners morally or fails to confront and fails to want what is best for the other is not real love at all. Genuine love needs to be sincere, hate evil, cling to good. That's God's standard of good. But now moving on, the Bible passage today allows for two major facets. And don't forget, both the facets are to be cradled by the anchor verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that we have just processed through. The first major facet is this, true loving is for the sake of the other. It is faithfully committed. True loving is faithfully committed. Be devoted to one another, Paul says, in brotherly love. He's actually saying that we should love one another as if we are related. He is still my brother. She is still my sister. In other words, even if we have different star lifestyles or different ways of thinking. Devoted, faithful to one another is a challenging description of Christian love for those of us who prize individualism and individualistic cultures. True loving also puts the other first. Honour one another above yourselves. To honour means we remember that the other is made in the image of God. And believe it or not, even in the midst of disagreements, uh, they are still, that person is still made in the image of God, precious and important to God. So even when we disagree or we are in conflict with, uh, with one another, we still need to honour that person. Honouring the other self means that we listen to the other person, that we are aware of the other's hopes, joys, needs and fears, and we are considerate. True loving perseveres. Paul is really appealing to us to use all our spiritual resources and not give up on the other. He must keep our hope, be patient in all the troubles we meet. We, he, must keep hope and be patient in all the troubles we meet and address all of this in persevering prayer. As Christians, we will give our hearts to people some of these people in reality may be ungrateful, but we are called to give ourselves with zeal, 
serving with fervor as doing unto the Lord. Remember too that in Christ we will triumph and so we meet this with faithful prayer. True loving seeks out to meet needs. True loving of another is not sentimentality, but it is the activity of meeting needs. It seems that Paul didn't just urge to practice hospitality, but also to pursue hospitality, to look out carefully for strangers and to pursue them. Strangers, by the way, can be people who are not like us. True loving deeply enters into the experiences and emotions, the laughter, the tears with the other, and is not self-centered or full of self. True loving never stands aloof. The Christian is called to the hard discipline in which we stop, we seek to understand the inner world of the other, and we feel a solidarity with the other, whatever the other's moods may be, or our own image, or our position. It is not self-centered, it is not full of self, but concentrates on the needs of the other. True loving is the capacity to empathize with heartfelt compassion. Last year, Philip Yancey, a well-known author, was invited to speak at the Eagles Leadership Conference here in Singapore. It was towards the end of the year. Together with a group of Baptist pastors and leaders, I had the opportunity to lunch with him and his wife, Janet. During lunch, Philip talked, amongst other things, about Brennan Manning, whom he said taught him much about the grace and love of God. Now, Brennan Manning died in 2013, but he wrote a book entitled Abba's Child, in which he shared about a day when he and his wife Rosalind were out and about roaming the French Quarter in New Orleans. They stopped by a well-known ice cream shop. Thereafter, they continued to walk. They walked down Bourbon Street. As they turned the corner, there was a girl with a radiant smile, just about 21 years old. And she approached them and she began to pin a flower on each of their jackets. And then she asked if they would like to make a donation to support her mission. When Brennan asked what mission this was, the 21-year-old girl answered and she named a church which actually many believe is a cult. Brennan then said to her, your founder is so-and-so, so I guess that means you are a... And he gave the name of those involved in that so-called cult. Yes, she answered. Brennan shared, obviously, she had two strikes against her. First, she did not acknowledge Jesus Christ as her Lord and Saviour. Second, she seemed to be just a naive, vulnerable child who had been brainwashed and mesmerized by a supposed cult. But here's what he said to her. This is what Brandon said to that 21-year-old. He said this, I deeply admire your integrity and your fidelity to your conscience. You're out here trampling, tramping the streets, doing what you really believe in. You are actually a challenge to anyone who claims the name of Christian. His wife, Rosalind, then reached out and embraced the young lady. And Brennan embraced the two of them. Here's what the young lady said. 
after that. And she actually, she asked, she said, are you a Christian? Are you Christians? Rosalind said, yes. The young lady lowered her head and the couple saw tears falling on the sidewalk. A minute later, she said, you know, I've been on my mission here in this quarter for eight days now. You're the first Christians who have ever been nice to me. The others have either looked at me with contempt or screamed and told me that I was possessed by a demon. One woman even hit me with her Bible. This is what Brennan said in his reflection. What makes the kingdom come is heartfelt compassion, a way of tenderness that knows no frontiers, no labels, no compartmentalizing, and no sectarian divisions. Today, Jesus, the human face of God, likewise invites us to ponder afresh the nature of Christian discipleship and true loving that deeply enters into the experience and emotions of the, of the other, always for the sake of that other and for his kingdom's sake. Now, the second major facet is true loving wins in the face of hostility. The basic principle of all these exhortations can actually be summarized at the beginning and the end of uh, verses 17 and 21. And it says this, Do not repulse us, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 17. In verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a profound and radical insight. Paul is saying that to repay evil with evil is to immediately lose the battle to evil. It's so counterintuitive for us today. You speak badly to me, you treat me badly, I'm going to break your nose. But Paul says, the only way to defeat evil, or evil being very bad or wrongful behavior, the only way to defeat this sort of evil is by doing good to the one who has done harm. In other words, if you hate a person who has wronged you, that person has won. Another way to describe it is that if we identify evil too closely with the evildoer, we may come to believe we need to destroy the evildoer in order to destroy the evil. From a practical standpoint, Paul wants us to know that true loving well will ultimately will ultimately win in the face of hostility how does that happen how do we know that true loving will ultimately win in the face of hostility let me suggest three things you win against evil when you don't avoid the hostile person as far as it depends on you paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. As far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When people have wronged you, it is common to simply avoid them. You may say, uh, I'm not actually paying them back. Um, I just don't want to see them. Uh, but your avoidance 
could well be a form of payback. To avoid them, to avoid them does not overcome evil. But here's where the anchor verse, and I want to say this, um, we do need to point this out, I need to point this out. The anchor verse reminds that we are not truly loving or wisely, we're not loving truly or wisely when we enable someone to continue sinning or sin against us. Now, there are many different degrees of hostility. Enemies can be so dangerous that to have anything to do with them is to invite them to sin. In which case, the good you can do them is to stay away from them. But you and I, we need to discern the motive behind our staying away. Is it a form of payback? Or really, it's a measured response aim at blessing them in some way. Our motives in avoiding them are important. There's another thing. You win against evil when you forgive and don't avenge yourself. There is a judge, we are reminded in the Bible, and he can be trusted one day to make things right for you. You win against evil when you express love in words and actions. This is a call to speak and to act courteously and kindly to those who are hostile. But guard your heart that you are not just trying to shame them, embarrass them, rub their noses into it. Instead, we need to thoughtfully find ways to wish them well, to bless them, to do helpful things, to speak respectfully to them. You win because who knows but the hostile one may be softened by your love and repentance may occur and you win back a brother or a sister. I want to share a true story. This true story is about a mother. Her name is Angela. She was born in Shanghai and she grew up in Taiwan. Her mother was a career politician and uh, she and her siblings were therefore left in the care of nannies. Angela's father was a merchant marine and ever rarely home. She married Leon in the United States after the both of them migrated to the United States. I might add that both of them actually married against their parents' wishes. Angela, in fact, was slapped by her father when she insisted on marrying Leon, and Leon's mother constantly reminded him, her son, that he was once actually a pious man, but after he married Angela, he became a traitorous son. Leon and, Ange- Leon and Angela had two sons named Stephen and Christopher. When both sons grew up, both rebelled against their upbringing and the things, and the things um, that were more traditional in terms of family values. Angela recalls that both she and her husband had never set a good example for Christopher and his brother. After 30 years of marriage, she said, their unresolved issues seemed to define their life. The marriage, Leon said, was a disaster. So that together, as husband and wife, they argued just about over anything and everything. Angela says, 
As much as she tried to build a home, she failed to make it a safe home. She failed to make it secure for her sons. She didn't realize how much, as parents, their arguments had affected the children. In fact, when Christopher was five years old, Angela says she found a picture that he had drawn. Now He drew this boxing ring with Leon and her in the middle. On one side of the ring was Leon's parents. On the other side was her parents. In the stands, the drawing of two little boys with tears streaming down their cheeks. The family were not Christians. Angela said she was a self-proclaimed atheist. But you see, Angela also had a secret shame. Growing up as a five-year-old, she had a secret shame that she was a witness to men who were continuing to come to her home to visit her mom when her dad was away on a merchant ship. Images of her mom making love to strangers kept running through her head and her chest would shake from lingering sobs every night. Hiding a secret for so many years affected her relationship with her parents, with Leon and with her children. One day Christopher, who was a dental student at that time, came home for a Mother's Day week. He came back one week earlier. Then he told her, and she said, there's only three words, but it's amazing how three words in a sentence can change everyone's life. He told her, I am gay. I am gay. She said that as a proud atheist mother, she wasn't ready to hear that. She recalls fumbling for a response, but the pain was too sharp. The shame was too intense. Finally, she gave an ultimatum. You must choose. You must choose the family or choose homosexuality. Christopher made his decision. He packed his bags, walked out of the house, and he was gone. So why am I sharing this story today? It's Mother's Day. Angela is a mother. But I'm sharing this story because I believe it reflects the message this morning. For instance, genuine love loves the beloved enough to be tough. A homosexual lifestyle, as far as Angela and Leon understood, is wrong. Angela and Leon spoke up about it. Genuine love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. True loving is for the sake of the others. It is faithfully committed to the other. Angela loved Christopher enough to faithfully commit to praying for him every day. It puts the other, true loving puts the other first. She put his thoughts, his needs, his beliefs, accepting them, um, not insisting, not insisting upon what she thought. It perseveres. She persevered in believing and pursuing God for the transformation of her son. True loving seeks out to meet needs. 
She visited, she visited Christopher when he was in prison. True loving deeply enters into the experiences and emotions with the other and is not self-centered. The day he got arrested and he called his mum, he was busted, he told her, by 12 DEA agents as well as two German shepherd dogs that came into his apartment. Her only words for him was not judgment or anger or frustration. Her only words for him when he called was, Are you okay, son? And she said, you know, as she thought about it, she said, God has forgiven me so much. Angela became a Christian. God has forgiven me so much. He loves me. Therefore, I can forgive Christopher. True loving wins in the face of hostility and all you have, you need to go and read the book just to see how hostile Christopher was to his mum and to her father. He threw them both out of his home when they came to visit and stay with him. He tossed his father's Bible, the father's precious Bible, which was a handwritten note. He tossed it into the bin. The father left it for him, he tossed it into the bin. True love wins ultimately in the face of hostility because, because it doesn't repay evil with evil. They didn't shut him out of their lives. True love wins in the face of hostility. Angela and Leon won against evil when they didn't avoid their son. They chose to continue to meet with him, to speak with him on the phone when he called, despite his rejection of them. They won when they forgave and did not reject Christopher. As I've said before, Angela said, God has forgiven me. He loves me. I can forgive and love my son, even if he continues to be gay. Angela won when she expressed love in words and actions. This was a mom who prayed, who prayed for a number of years in a shower stall that she created, which became her prayer altar. She prayed each day for her son. She fasted 39 days for him. She prayed. And here's the thing she prayed. She said this, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son out of that far country and bring him to you. You know what? God did. It took some three years in prison, a diagnosis that he was HIV positive, but all of it brought the prodigal home. Today, Dr. Christopher Yuan has taught the Bible at Moody Bible Institute for over 10 years and his speaking ministry in faith and sexuality has reached five continents. Christopher graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005, the year 2005. He graduated from Wheaton College Graduate School in 2007 with an MA in Biblical Exegesis. He received his Doctorate of Ministry in 2014 from Bethel Seminary. What Satan intended for evil, God intended for good, for the whole family. I know the plans, a special verse I think for Christopher was, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you 
and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Today, Christopher casts a compelling vision for holy sexuality only because God had reached out to him and Christopher came home. Really, it was an answer, God's answer to Angela and Leon's prayer, but Christopher's transformation was solely by the power of God's love and his kindness that led Christopher to repentance. It's that same kindness that leads not just Christopher to repentance, but it leads all of us as well. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for how your true love for us enables us to change. Your true love for us brings us to repentance. I pray for all of us who are listening today, be we mothers, fathers, children. Lord, I think if we are honest, we have all been prodigals in one way or another, and some of us are prodigals even now. Thank you for your continued steadfast love for us, despite the fact that we are prodigals. Lord, I pray you would show us the error of our ways, enable us, give us courage to allow you to change and to transform us. Thank you that for, your, for the power of your love that makes all of this a reality. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.